Hi! Welcome to my podcast, Traumatic Transformations, where we help you find hope, peace, and purpose after a big life change or a traumatic event. I'm your host, Gunjani Patel, and I'm a licensed mental health therapist, trauma specialist, and a neuroscience nerd. Join me as I dive deep into resiliency, post-traumatic growth, and normalize mental health to reduce the stigma associated with it. In each episode, I plan to deliver science-backed, actionable tips and strategies so you can take back the control over your life and be inspired to be the best version of yourself with each day forward. So tune in every Tuesday for a featured guest and every Thursday for a solo episode with me, where we unpack mind, body, brain, and spirit connections related to each episode with the featured guest. Just a quick disclaimer before we begin today. The purpose of this podcast is to inform you, educate you, and raise your awareness. It is not intended to replace any medical advice or professional help seeking that you may need. So please use this information wisely and any opinion that I cast is not to replace any medical advice. And quickly before we start today, I just wanted to ask you a favor. If you like what you hear today, don't forget to subscribe so you never have to miss an episode. Thank you so much. And if you rate and review, it would really help us with the algorithm so people can easily search the show if they would like. So I would really love to hear your feedback and what you have to say uh, so I can bring you the content that's most fit for you. Thank you so much. Welcome to Traumatic Transformations. Um, today on our show, we have with us uh, Michelle Anhang, and she is a certified life coach who specializes in supporting individuals and families living with mental health challenges, as well as those moving forward after a loss. In addition to coaching, Michelle is a motivational speaker who shares her story of becoming widowed at the age of 34 when her husband died by suicide, and how she navigated her way through stigma, shame, and her own mental health challenges to rebuild her life intentionally. Wow. Um, I can't wait to dive into your story and yet um, have fun with the entire experience because this, um, I want to emulate to my audience um, that, you know, having been through mental health challenges, having been through traumatic experiences, does not mean that we have to leave, live with heaviness and gloom and doom. Um, I can't wait to dive into your experience and talk about how much fun we can have and teach others to have fun by being informed, by educating ourselves and, you know, um, sort of making an impact, learning from our experiences and helping others um, to be more informed and be more educated about mental health. So thank you so much for being here. And I can't wait to have fun with you on this show. Awesome. I'm excited too. And thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. So Michelle, tell me a little bit about you and your story. How um, mm. the, the, we'll start with the traumatic version first and then, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then move the trauma out of the way. <laughs> then we'll get into the part sure. you know, where you are who you are because of your pain and everything yeah. that you've been through in life, you know, and that can be also possible. So kind of give us a little bit about your story and your journey with mental illness and your own mental health challenges. For sure. So as you mentioned, um, I was widowed at 34. Um, my husband died by suicide after suffering from severe mental illness. He had bipolar disorder and uh, schizoaffective disorder. Mm. And um, unfortunately, in the time it took to try and figure out all the medications, you know, the right cocktail, that whole, yeah. you know, he, he was a bit, a bit of a guinea pig. Um, he was getting rapidly uh, worse. And sadly, he lost hope and um, lost his life because of that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the, you know, as if that trauma alone wasn't enough, it's like that, you know, yeah. <laughs> next level of um, that the family decided um, that day, that, um, you know, they wanted to hide hide the the suicide and say that he died in an accident and me being in the space you know I, I came from a shame-driven home you know our community kind of doesn't talk about mental health doesn't talk about mental illness or suicide anything like that so nobody knew you know outside of the family and a few close friends that my husband was sick um 
so yeah, that was the the immediate reaction and mine too of just like, yeah, well, how do how do you even explain any of this? Like nobody knew he was sick. Nobody, I mean, I didn't see it coming. There were no signs. Then, you know, also some of the blame of like, did I do something wrong here? Did I miss anything? Um, you know, we have uh, two kids, they were seven and four at the time. And it was like, how do I tell my boys that, you know, what happened? I didn't want them to blame themselves. Right. So I went along with it and um, carried that secret for 10 years. Wow. And so, yeah. So, That's you know, a long time. that a long time and, you know, again, as if the initial trauma wasn't bad enough and there wasn't enough to grieve and, you know, reason to have my mental health challenges, the secret, um, you know, destroyed me essentially, you know, carrying it for, for so long, um, having, you know, I, I mean, I had depression because I, I just suppressed everything, you know, yeah. Like, you know, grieving, didn't look like grieving could because I'm pretending I'm, I'm grieving an accident. I couldn't talk about all the added emotions because, you know, when someone dies in an accident versus suicide, there are different emotions at play. So, you know, there, there's, there's guilt, there's anger, you know, there's feelings of abandonment or rejection and I had to keep it all inside or, well, I chose to, but, um, you know, that piece. family than most of our people, we tend to do that. Like you said, you this whole experience for your and his and your guys' family was that you didn't talk about it even while it was happening. Yeah. We don't talk about mental illness, you know. Um, yeah. we, we we keep it. Sh- let's not discuss this. There's so much stigma. There's, you know, all this labeling and diagnosis going around. And it, that adds a layer of things Um to the process of grieving. So yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and then I developed anxiety too, because I spent all these years worrying that the truth might leak out Yeah, and maybe someone, you know, I'm going to be called out for being a liar. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my, I didn't tell my kids, you know, I told them it was an accident. And yes. so my, you know, what if somebody accidentally tells them yeah. or, you know, deliberately tells them. Constantly and, living with that so, fear. Yeah. It cause anxiety. As yeah. in, and then exactly. And then as the years went on, it was like, okay, I want to tell them, but how do I tell them? Will they ever speak to me again? Will they judge me? Will they hate me? All, you know, all sorts of things. So yeah, a mixed bag of, of not, not good stuff. Yeah. And, and of course, because, you know, one of the things that happens, and I'm sure now you know about the whole process of grieving and, you know, now that you teach it and you've Mm -hmm. been through it and you've recovered from it, but grieving is a very intense process. We don't understand or realize that it is. Um, But, you know, that's something that I also specialize in. So I wanted to really emphasize on that with your story, because it's like grieving can look different for different people. Grieving, if unresolved, can convert into CPTSD or complex PTSD for people over time. You know, grieving can, I love Ann Kubler's, you know, spectrum of grieving that she talks about. Um, And I want to just emphasize on that a little bit that grieving comes in phases. One of the first, you know, stages of grieving is shock. Then there is denial. Then there is anger. Then there is bargaining or negotiating as in, hey, if I do this, maybe he'll come back. Or if I do that, maybe they won't do that. Maybe, you know, if I do that, or if this happens, what could I have done all of this, you know, confusion process around it. And then there's depression and deep sadness related to it. And then there is finally acceptance, but it's a spectrum. And all of that stuff can happen within a day, within months. It's not one step after the other. And it can happen, you know, it's very jumbled and a very complex process that when we go through it, we don't realize all of this thing, things are happening and, you know, they're meant to happen. So tell me about your experience in terms of your grieving because I think yeah I love I love that you bring up the context of the different stages because like as you're naming them and I know them but it's just like yeah, yep, yeah. That, the, yep. so I was in this stage when I was doing this and, <laughs> and, exactly and but people go through it and it's like knowing that wow I identify with this yeah. can be such a sense of relief and knowing too that it's not linear it's not like okay exactly. I'm out of shock so now I'm moving into this it, or, or into anger or into bargaining it's like 
no, I'm going to bargain and then I'm going to get pissed off because yeah, bargaining's not working. So I'm going back to anger. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's why it's not yeah. like, oh, first week you'll do this or first month you'll do this right. or first year you'll do this. You know, it's like oh. hey, we ha- in the grieving world, we talk about, you know, anything that we find ourselves attached to, you know, anyone or anything. Like sometimes people grieve over the loss of their hair. You know, it's like sure. something that we feel attached to, you know, but so people, I think it's really important to understand understand and emphasize on the phase, you know, the emotional attachment of whatever it is that we are losing can cause any number of feelings, emotions, and very big, heavy feelings in us. Um, So how was your process like? Uh, you know, it was, it was really, it was shoved down. And I just wanted to mention about just, you know, about the grief and anything like people don't realize too, that we're go we're grieving right now during COVID because life as we knew it absolutely, and what we took for granted. So, you know, I just want to make that point because people don't realize like, why am I feeling all of this? And I'm feeling, you know, one hour, I just want life to go back to normal or I just want to, you know, that in itself is grieving. Any, any time when we lose something that was not uh, of our choice, so to speak, uh, or we don't intend for causes the process of grieving in us. Yeah. And, and just, and accepting that like somebody doesn't have to die Right. you to be grieving something absolutely so that's uh, just, thank you for mentioning that, that because point. that is yeah, very important sure. that's one I, of I the know. reasons why i'm launching this before the end of this year yeah. because you know i think people have this understanding that oh at the end of the year come 31st december you know 31st 2021 i mean 2020 i can't wait for it to be 21 well we're gonna nothing will change <laughs> you know unfortunately yeah. and yeah. I, I want that but i think if we change our mindset if we change our discipline if we look try to look at things and be more informed things could be a little better than they were yeah yeah definitely um so yeah back to your your question of what my grief looked like yeah. um i i spent a lot well you know, I, I really didn't process a lot of it. Shock, you know, for me looked like, you know, okay, life goes on. Like I remember a week after uh, my husband passed away, my, you know, my kids were in school. My, my oldest one was in first grade. My younger one was in nursery. And um, so, yeah, it was exactly a week later and I get a call from the school Mm-hmm. And um, they say, you know, that my son went down the slide and landed in a puddle at the bottom of the slide and he needs a change of pants. Mm-hmm. And I was with with family at the time. And I'm like, oh, you see, life goes on. <laughs> just okay, Let's just let's okay. wipe it, put it aside. Yeah. So I went to the school. I was like, OK. But and that's kind of what drove me. I was just like, OK, I have to keep moving, moving, yes. just keep going. Right. <laughs> and that's, that's exactly what PTSD is. Let's not oh, yeah. avoid things that yes. are bothersome to us or are traumatic to us let's not think about it because it's so overwhelming i don't know what to do with it so let me just act to fake it till i make it to about that it's not even happening yeah yeah exactly and like you know and and there's amazing ways that we rationalize these things too like i was you know in my head it was like okay I have one chance to do it right with my kids. Yes. So I have to focus on that. I have to keep a roof over our heads. There's a lot of things. There was a lot of, you know, cleaning Time up to, to step do. Back. Yeah. And, you know, so I went into busy mode. Um, yeah. You know, definitely the anger was there, but anger was not uh, an emotion that I ever was given permission to experience like many of us women with mm-hmm. <laughs> any, any other cultural societal family stuff aside, just in mm-hmm. general, we're, we're not allowed to rage. And, and there, there was a lot of anger. I mean, I, you know, it's funny because uh, a close friend of mine reminded me because I'm working on my memoir now. And Yay. so she was reminding me of uh, telling us, uh, you know, telling her how, you know, how lucky my husband is that he now gets to rest in peace while I clean up the mess. Mm. You know, because I, you know, our lives were a financial mess, sadly, you know, when he was having yeah. manic episodes, yeah. he spent quite a bit. And it was like, great. So now you're resting in peace. And I'm the one who now needs to parent alone yes. and try and figure all of this out, keep this secret, you know, yes. try, you know, deal with the family and all that stuff. And, and the, the aftermath of all of that. Yeah. So, yeah. so that was, was definitely a piece of it too. Um, you know, the denial of, of, you know, it's not, 
you know, it's not that bad. Right. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. You know, um, and again, the, the secret was a big piece of the denial too. It was just right. what I needed to go through. And it was only, you know, and everything else I just shut off. It was just like, don't go there because if you open that door a tiny bit, you're going to fall apart. Yeah. And I just told myself, you can't afford to fall apart. You have to support your family. Yeah. So I didn't let myself go anywhere near the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was only years later when, you know, and essentially like I, I ended up designing my whole life around not going near that trauma. Mm, yes. <laughs> you know, yet and I was completely, do that. we think that, right. you know what, we'll just keep going and eventually we'll stop following us. Yeah, and we don't realize found the quite opposite that it compounds over time and continues to follow us that much heavier. Um, one hundred percent. Yeah, you know, we're leaking toxicity when we're not dealing with that. And so my whole life was toxic, um, you know, and I just attracted situations that were also unhealthy, relationships that were unhealthy. And it was only when I got to a point of realizing, like, okay, I, I have to, I can stop blaming everybody else because I'm the common denominator here. Mm-hmm. And that aha moment um, that when I went, that's when I went back to therapy and said, okay, I need to work through all of this and I need to grieve so many things, you know, yes. uh, you know, aside from the sickness and aside from his death, you know, which was tragic. Just but living with that also, I mean, right. what was that like living for you? What was it like living with someone mm. who had mental illness? I want oh. to sort of talk about that because there's so yeah. many people that go through it. And we uh, that's one of the stigma that is there and that we don't talk about, like you said, you know, in the past, your family yeah. decided to never address or talk about it. And it happens. It is there. So how did you deal with that um, being in it? Yeah, I, I had shut down long before he passed away. Um, I was on autopilot. Yeah. Um, I, you know, he, he had to stop working because of his illness. Yeah. And so I had to pick up a second job. So working full time in one job, then working at nights, taking care of, you know, my, my youngest when, when this started was 18 months. Wow. So 18 months and four, four years old, that's how old Mm -hmm. they were. So here I was, I was completely exhausted. Right. And then also, you know, taking care of my husband and right. not knowing who, you know, was it going to be Jekyll or Hyde? Right. You know, who's showing up today or this morning or this minute or this hour, you know, depending on the cycling. And, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, it was the, really the only way I could get through every day was just by not letting myself feel. Absolutely. which again, went against my complete nature. I'm an empath and I feel things so deeply. And so I was, I was denying myself, you know, an existence <laughs> that and, uh, suit you. So tell us yeah. a little bit about, because um, I, I think it's also in, in, in important to emphasize what he was going through, because when you talk about yeah. that, what others interpret or in our society is quote unquote crazy. And I don't, I yeah. completely do not like that word um, yeah. because of what I do. And I think it's really important that it's people's mental illness. It's not that they choose to be crazy. It's the imbalances in their body and their brain and their biochemical, you know, processes that causes that. So um, can you tell us a little bit about what bipolar and schizoaffective looks like? Not to get off track, but just. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Okay, I, I think, think it, it's not like it is for everybody, but it's important that at least with your story, and people just get some aspect and then, you know, go find resources to get more um, information. Yeah. On that. But so, yeah, I definitely, um, you know, it shows up differently in different people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, essentially the, the underlying, you know, symptoms between, you know, bipolar is, is either um, experiencing depression or experiencing mania. So and when my cycle. husband... Yeah. And so when my husband was was depressed, he'd be in in bed for days when he was having his manic episodes. You know, there there was bizarre behavior and, you know, things that like in the beginning were very few and far between, but kind of like the things that make you go, hmm, (laughs) just like, oh, that's weird. Like, why would you do that? And you don't realize like, oh, because your brain's not functioning the way it normally does. Absolutely. Um, So, you know, yeah, I I would say like, he'd either be in bed for days or we wouldn't see him for days. Mm. And, and, um, and then the schizoaffective is essentially the same cycling between the two, but having voices in your head that are then telling you what to do Mm. when you're 
you're in either place. So he was right. having voices that, you know, were, were telling him to do certain things, you know, and just really Absolutely. confusing him. And right. you know, it was just more conflicting, you know, information for him, but, Absolutely. um, you know, and, and it's, you know, the, the issue with, with mental illness, people look at it as crazy. They see the behaviors mm-hmm. because it's an illness in the brain. So of course exactly. the brain's going to affect how we act or what exactly. we say. Act, but think, people interpret be. it. Yeah. Sorry. I said, act, think, feel, be. Our brain, yeah. you know, we act certain ways, we behave certain ways, we are certain ways, we feel certain things, thoughts, you know, so it's like brain, mind, body, spirit, and body. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We're all connected, but we don't realize that with mental illness, unfortunately. Yeah. So people look at the behaviors and they think why, you know, because they're assuming that the person is healthy. And control that. Yes. Yeah. And why, why and would you say on a shopping spree and spend all this money? Why can't you control not doing that? Well, uh, th- that's not possible, unfortunately. Right. That's right. the nature. Yeah. It's like their brain doesn't have the off switch or the, right. you know, alert switch saying, hey, you've just blown your credit card. Right. Or like the, the rationale and the judgment that you and I can make in certain decisions that people with mental illness can't, and they lose yeah. that ability because that part of their brain is affected. So I think yeah. it's really important to keep that in perspective because, you know, when we have blood pressure or diabetes, we're like, oh, we'll measure it, you know, but these mental illness things, it's hard to measure and it's hard to have empathy for people living in it. So, um, so thank you for mentioning that. But yeah. yeah. And, it, and, they, and a lot of the behavior are things that are not socially acceptable. So then exactly. the family feels shame. And then that's compounded by people's judgments. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I, oh, I can't stress enough. And I, I say it all the time. Like when you're seeing somebody that's acting that way, like they're in pain, they're not choosing to do that. Absolutely. You know, I, I often, I talk about, um, you know, you, you, we all know the, the guy at the party or the woman at the party who always drinks more than everyone else. And yeah. you know, people are like, oh, there they go again. And, and, you know, kind of judge them. And it's just like that. Per- like nobody chooses to be that way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and looking at it from a place of empathy rather than judgment. Absolutely. That I just made not on that today that, um, you know, empathy is trying to put yourself in other people's shoes and holding space for others whose values might not be the same as yours you know yeah nobody said become bffs with people you know but it's just try to understand where they come from where they're coming from and sometimes when you're in it it's hard to keep that in perspective but i think it's also important to understand what's coming up for you and how you can as a result of that deal with some of that that's going on and what do you want for your life then if that is what you're living with yeah. you know yeah and i mean i you know when i think about my shame and keeping the secrets is like I was totally judging suicide and mm-hmm. his mental illness. What was that you like? Know, we have to be we have to be real with ourselves of just like, you know, we're the ones that are, are creating the stigma if we're too ashamed to talk about what we're going through, what a family member's going through. It's like, you know, forget about blaming society and stigma. It's like I'm stigmatizing myself. Absolutely. So, you know, start there. Yeah, absolutely. We it's and mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why you know the one of my favorite Mahatma Gandhi quotes is "Be the change you wish to see." Yeah. If we don't have that in us, I think it's important because it's like we can't change other people, but we can change our reaction to other people's actions. Yeah. You know, yeah. and if we start with us, we can create together a community of like-minded people who are more kinder, who are less judgmental who are more informed and who can yeah. be better towards each other, even yeah. with disagreements or dislikes, because isn't that what people do? I mean, as dysfunctional as families can be. And now with the holidays and everything coming up, we all get together every year <laughs> to be dysfunctional. And then we're back to ourselves. <laughs> isn't that what, isn't that well, that's what, what family's right? all about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think it's really important to understand where we are at with certain things and be informed with, you know, what's going on for us and then how we can take that outside of us and with the people around us. So tell us a little bit about um, your experience with the suicide and where you see the whole, um, because I know that's such a big, heavy word and, you know, in the mental Mm -hmm. health world, people tend to shy away with that. So just if you could touch up on that and then I'll get to the fun part of your story. So which piece would you want me to address? Um, so tell me about what was it like once um, he committed the suicide? Like, how did you wrap your head around it? And how did you, when you say mm. you finally went to therapy and, you know, you, you, you sort of, um, how did you overcome that for yourself? 
Yeah, um, great question. So he he never spoke about wanting to die. Never, yeah. you know. There there's so many cues that you know we hear like oh if somebody says oh the world would be better off without me or yeah, yeah, n- yeah. nothing. It yeah. came out of the left field. Um, and you know, he, he actually had phoned me just before he died, um, Mm. to say goodbye and, you know, say he was sorry, but he, he was not well. And, um, so, you know, it, it, it shook me up quite a bit. I was in complete shock. Um, and yeah, I, 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 first I didn't think it was real. I was just like, no, he's going to walk, you know, and and he was actually, so I'm, I'm in Canada and he, he went to New York and and he Mm. did it in New York um, because I had had him in the hospital a couple of weeks uh, earlier um, Mm. because I was actually, I was worried he might accidentally hurt himself because Mm. he was was, at the point he was psychotic. He was not thinking clearly. And I was worried about him. They released him, but I, I think at that time he was already contemplating it. So he knew that I, you know, I'm home with the kids. I can't do anything if he, if he leaves the country. Right. And so he did. So, Mm. you know, I kept thinking, even though he called me, you know, our our minds can tell us things. So like, even though he called me and I knew what he was going to do and they found him and they called and the police called me from his phone, you know, because I was the last call. So, but I was still like, they have the wrong person. He's going to walk through the door any day. The denial and of grief. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, and and so it took a lot of of working through <sighs> that of um, you know we're you know thinking too like what did what could I have done differently what did I miss what you know and I was the classic codependent I was already micromanaging everything in his life right you know and 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 it took my therapist saying to me when somebody wants to die they're going to die you're not god you you can't stop that yeah and it was like it was a shock it was like oh Oh, okay. What? Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> and I was like, thank you. I never thought of it. Because yeah, she's like, do you think But it is that? so true. It is so true. Like, you know, like I was saying, we can't control other people's, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. actions. We absolutely cannot. And, yeah. you know, that's the part that I think we find it very difficult to fathom it's, when somebody does something yeah. that's beyond our expectations of them. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we have that fear that they might, and we somehow think that, well, maybe if I love them just a little bit yes. more. And tell know, me about that codependency piece, because I think it's very yeah. important that you address that. I, I, yeah. To me, I well, can't the, speak my language yeah so so the codependency for people who are not familiar with it it's um and you can you know use yeah, bring okay. in your professional expertise too um but essentially it's um a a dependency in a relationship where um, the codependent partner tends to lose themselves by giving so much of themselves to their their partner and it, or it could be a child you know it could be any kind of mm-hmm. dynamic of friendship mm-hmm. but usually if we're if we have these tendencies we're that way in all of our relationships but absolutely. It, it's we, we lose ourselves completely absolutely yeah. the, the way you know and that's exactly what i teach my you know people uh, with a lot of uh relationship and you know because i do a lot of couples counseling and addictions issues and codependency is when the relationship whether it was with a child or a parent or you know a partner where it's so enmeshed that there is no sense of boundary that everything yeah. is about the other and your your you there is a lack of understanding of who you are what you want where does where do you stop and they start how much can you give even after being spent and not having your bucket you know yeah. like keeping on pouring um even with an empty bucket um yeah so i really think that the concept of codependency and boundaries is something that people learn as they're healing not when they're yes. in it. And I think unless you go through something so traumatic, um, I don't think you understand or are open to even knowing what that those concepts are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I had no sense of self at that Absolutely. point. It was really about, you know, did he take his meds? You know, is the alcohol hidden? Because I know the impact that can have on on the medication and also just you know he was never one he he was that guy that you know when everyone else has two drinks he's having six yeah and so you know i mean it was a self-soothing for him but you know it was it was unfortunately deal with their 
things yeah. that are unresolved. That's what unresolved yeah. trauma looks like. Yeah, exactly. Do not miss. Do not feel it. Yeah, and so I w- was completely lost in how is he feeling today, and then you know, and and what's going on, and just be you know, whatever was going on with him. I, and I, I use the analogy with my clients as well of just, you know, how the family member with the mental illness is on, on a roller coaster as codependents, we get on the roller coaster and we're like, okay, we'll ride with you because that's what love looks like. Right. But really healthy love is staying at the bottom and waving and saying like, I am here for you and I love you, but I'm not getting on the roller coaster with you. I'm taking care of me. Absolutely. And I and think so, a lot of yeah. times I we, we as a culture or a society are designed that, you know, at what point, because it, this is also blurry and subjective, is that, you know, yes, I signed up to be with you for the rest of my life in health and sickness. But it's like, at what point does this sickness also make me sick as a result of your sickness? Yeah. You know, yeah. um, and it's like it, taking care of yourself through it or wanting to take care of yourself through it is not selfish. And I think that's yeah. what people, we tend to think that, oh, I, I, how can I be so selfish? Or people will call me selfish if I, you know, don't want to ride on that roller coaster. A hundred percent. We are, we are so conditioned to think that any kind of self-care is, you know, that, that, that it's selfish Yes. and people don't want to go there. And, you know, I, I will usually point out to clients when they're in that, you know, when they're in this codependent mix of just like, okay, so you've given, you're completely depleted. And how do you feel? And they usually will say, you know, angry, resentful, exhausted. And I'm like, and how loving are you really being to this family member when you are resenting them for their sickness? Exactly. You know, and I say like, fill your own cup, take care of you. Absolutely. And then from the overflow, that's what you give to them. And the truth is, our family members want us to take care of ourselves. They don't, they don't want us hovering over them. They don't want to see us in all this pain. Like they're already feeling badly enough with the illness that suddenly now they, they're having this added guilt of like, oh my gosh, look what it's doing to my whole family. Right. And so it's it's unhealthy, whichever angle you look at it. Absolutely. And, you know, it's like, okay, stop trying to fix them so that you feel more comfortable. Which is right. also a piece of it. <laughs> let's not focus on me. Let's um, let's focus on you first because right. you're, you're the one yeah. going through it. Yeah. You're depressed and you're in bed for days and I'm tired and I need help and I don't want to see you in bed because it makes me unhappy. So if I can make you happier and get you out of bed, then I'll feel more comfortable with you. <laughs> with Absolutely. You. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's exactly what how that plays out. So mm-hmm. what would you tell all those women or all the men that are going through someone who is dealing or is with someone who has this kind of sickness and are feeling lost? First thing to do is is reach out to somebody for support. You can't do it alone. No yep. matter how hard you try, you will not do it well alone. Yep. You you can do it, but you'll it's much harder. I, I can tell you what that looks like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and spare you a lot of pain. Yeah. Um, but but really, the first thing I think is to reach out and get support. Yeah, um, because we often need those reminders over and over and over to take care of ourselves. Like it's mm-hmm. not something we can do and just commit to. Um, and you know, from that place, and and trust that if your family member is getting medical help, let the doctors do their job. Exactly. You know, but, but, you know a lot things- of times suffering from mental illness, they don't want to get the help. And that is the mm-hmm. hard part, you know, um, that I feel that I see with my mm. patients, or that I see with families that yeah. have mental illness, because they're like, nothing is yeah. wrong with me, I'm okay. And I won't yeah. seek the help. What do you do at that point? Yeah. Um, that's where you really need to be taking care of you. Because Absolutely. if they're not taking care of themselves, they're definitely not taking care of you. And so nobody's taking care of you if you're busy, right. busy with them. And yeah, <laughs> so yeah. And, and at and, that point, the things to address for people, I think is that, you know, um, what taking care of you means like going to someone for support and learning where do you draw the line? You know, yeah. at what yeah. point your encouragement, you're trying to help someone that don't want the help that you are offering gets you to a place where it's, that's it, you know, there has to be some distance with this toxicity. Absolutely. And I think from a practical level too, it's, it's making sure your finances are in order. Do you know what things look like? Are you, you know, taking care of that side of things? Because depending on the illness, 
you know, it could impact the family financially. Absolutely. And then what? That like, you know, and, and we can only blame them so much, like right. because we're adults. Right. And right. it's like, okay, so you you saw it happening, you were watching it, and yeah. you just let it happening, trusting that somebody who you know was not well. Right you know, to, to suddenly miraculously fix things. It's like, no, we have to take responsibility for our part, even though, you know, and I know many of us, you know, with the codependent tendencies don't want that responsibility. Oh yeah. And, but that's adulting. (laughs) (laughs) And that's that's also getting to you to a place where yes, it's difficult, you know, healing isn't easy healing. And that's one thing that I really want to emphasize is that yes, um, the other side of it looks great. But the process itself sometimes can be very treacherous. But if you're still on this side where you know, when I say this side, because I'm on video, but when you're still on the part where things are unresolved, or when you're going through the midst of it, it's very, it's more difficult than the journey itself of heal the healing process and the recovery and the transformation would be, you know? Yeah. So it, it, and it compounds over time. So it keeps getting worse and you'll just think, oh, it'll just end. It'll end over time. It'll get, we'll get over it. It will start impacting your body. It'll start impacting your brain more. It'll start impacting, you know, you, the way you keep thinking. It's like the neural networks that you think about in terms of your negativity grows or, you know, the things that you're in grows. Mm-hmm. So it's like you, you, you don't want to start thinking negative, but then your entire mindset becomes very negative yeah. and very pessimistic. And yeah. that can be a very dark place to get out of at that point. Um, oh, yeah. So uh, now can of tell me about your recovery process and what that mm. was like and how you are now? What made you who you are now? <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, that, that's a much, much more fun story to tell. Um, so yeah, so I mean, for me, it was it was um, more than 10 years of holding all of this. And like I said, I, I designed a life around um, the secret and like not, not going near it. Um, and for me, the, the real wake up call was, was um, a, well, there, there were a few things, uh, but I essentially, I, I was in um, a course. It was, it was the first coaching course I had taken that, that my best friend um, urged me to go to. <laughs> and I, I was like, she was just like, I know you're going to love. It. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, and I just like literally get her off my back. I was like, I'll go and do it. And the closing words by one of the teachers after, after the three days were done at the end, he, you know, his, his words of inspiration, he said, don't just tolerate life. Aww. And I, I know I broke down. Cause I realized like I am tolerating everything in my life because there were so many things that I didn't believe I deserved oh. you know, because I told myself a story about who I was. And, you know, part of it was uh, I'm keeping this lie and, you know, the brokenness of who I am. Yeah. And so I didn't let myself be happy. So I had stayed in a job that I was miserable in. Uh-huh. Um, I was in a relationship that was so unhealthy mm-hmm. and, and staying in it because I was like, well, you know, he knows my stuff. Yeah. And, and he's willing to love me. So I I should stay like, you know, who, who am I to walk away from these things? Right. And, um, you know, and it's funny, I, I joke that like, while I stayed with him because he loved me, I also judged him for loving me because I was like, what's wrong Why with you, you that you don't see the basket case, <laughs> right? <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> <laughs> So of course, you know, no surprise, he had his own huge trauma he was not willing to deal with. So we trauma bonded and yeah. thought that was love. And, um, but it was just waking up to realizing not everyone lives like that because it just seemed like everyone around me was also not particularly happy because that's kind of what we do and where we are. And it was just like, okay, I want to be with these people. Like there's a whole world out there of people that don't feel this way. And so, you know, having, having this, this wake up call and, and it was also around my 45th birthday. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't live the next half of my life in this much pain. Like if this is midlife, like, Oh my God, (laughs) spare me, please. I was just talking with one of my guests yesterday that, you know, I guess forties are the decade that we really wake up to and go, wow, Mm -hmm. like the most creative decade. Like we really need to step on the gas on, you know, what we are and who we, who we truly are placed on this planet for to be. Um, and it ends up being yeah. one of those really fun decades uh, with everything that you've been through, you know, that is just, oh yeah, whew, yeah, 
Yeah, totally. <laughs> it was it was a fun decade, I have to say. <laughs> you know, some of it sarcastically, but some right. of it truthful. Right. Um, yeah. So much so much better than the decade that preceded it. So oh, a hundred percent better. Yeah. And um, so yeah, I, I immediately called a therapist. Like I had been in and out of therapy for years, but not you know. But it was like okay, I I see now. That yeah. I am, I am the common denominator here, and that I can change this pattern. Like, yes, I've had this pattern, but now I'm waking up to like, there's yes. something else out there, and I didn't know what it was going to look like. Right. I just knew I don't want this anymore. Right. And I knew also that the pain of healing will not be worse than what I'm going through. And I was like, nothing, nothing is worse than what I'm living with right now. Absolutely. And, and I know there's, I know, cause yeah, I mean, I work with clients in this space too, and there's so much fear of the unknown. And I'm like, trust me, it's, it's not going to be worse. Like it, you're going to feel things be, and, and Absolutely. feel things that you've I'm gonna taught yourself not it. to feel. Yeah. 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 But the truth is what, you know, I say like emotions are energy in motion. Once you feel yeah. it and it moves through you, it's gone. Like it right, goes. Right. But you and have to let it out. Good, you know, um, mm. a lot of times. Um, yeah. And that's so true because I think we use, we are so designed again to, you know, our EQs, like we're, we're so, the emphasis is so much on the IQ that we don't, you know, yeah. focus on the EQ, which is emotional intelligence and PQ, which is like now the positive intelligence and yes. all concept around that. So I really think that, you know, I think to raise our next generation of people to be more aware of emotions, to not resist emotions like we normally do, and to be able to manage and that emotions are trying to tell us something, you know, to change. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, when we in our body, when we have when we feel things, uh, our pain tries to tell us something. So we, you know, check yeah. it same thing with our emotions if we're feeling it and they're not what we want to be feeling then they're just a gauge to tell us what we need to be feeling Um, yeah yeah big on emotions obviously (laughs) yeah no me too and I I do I teach a course in mindfulness for emotional resilience and I I say all the time um, emotions are just information it's just information your body is giving you of like okay yeah this is good this maybe I don't want so much of, but you know, we don't need to judge it. Like we will automatically go judge like, Oh, anger is bad right. or grief is bad because, but that's just conditioning. And like I say, like, sad, but I do. And it's like, you did, well, right. Shouldn't you be feeling sad. You, right. you feel sad if you went through something that is saddening. Yeah. And, and even if you didn't, if you're feeling sad, then that means you should be because <laughs> your body's saying something's up. Yes, Absolutely. Um, I, I, I really, re- that really resonates with me because I think one of the biggest things in just, you know, letting those emotions go and process them, I think becoming aware of what they are, where we yeah. feel them in our, in our body yes. and, you know, um, what are they trying to tell us and not putting so much judgment towards them and not putting so much emotional charge towards them. Yeah. There's a part in our brain, you know, in the insula and the cingulate that sort of is the emotional regulation of our brain. And if we resist them or if we put emotions to something we don't want, that those neural networks really connect and grow and get larger. So I think it's really important that we just notice our emotions and watch them, observe them, write them down and process them and process through them. Uh, One of the things that you had mentioned earlier really struck me is in, you know, the the phrase of how I started designing my life. So tell us, tell Mm. us a little bit about that. Um, well, I designed it around initially around not going near the wound. (laughs) So really, you know, uh, and it's funny because like that was the intention Mm -hmm. and yet I was attracting everything at the same time that was like totally toxic. That was driving me to, you know, waking me up to healing. And so, you know, but, but that was an unconscious level. But, yeah. you know, even like, just avoiding, like, you know, when, when they talk about the manifestation and we talk about, you know, putting our, like just in terms of spirituality, um, mm-hmm. I believe, you know, science is knowledge and spirituality is the other side of that coin, you know, the energy in motion. And, you know, um, I really think that when we um, 
feel something or when we are trying to attract something, it's not what we are trying to attract. It's who we are is what we attract. So if we want a better life, we have to be better, you know, psychologically, spiritually, physically, in terms of our body, mind. And then we attract those things that much faster because we're ready for it. We can't just... Yeah, we're there. Attraction is often misinterpreted. It's like, oh, if I keep thinking about it enough. No, it's not what you think about. (laughs) No. It's the being, it's who you're being. And that was it. So, yeah. So I I went and did intense therapy um, and, you know, I, I had CPTSD as well. So, you know, aside from just the talk therapy, I was doing uh, EMDR, which is a trauma therapy. I was doing somatic work because trauma stored in our body. So yeah, I was determined. um, And, and (laughs) yeah, and I did them all. And like, I don't recommend this for everybody, but you know, I was pretty driven and I, I was doing them at this, oh, like there was overlap. So I'd go to one appointment, something would come up, um, you know, then take it to the next uh, modality and then the next appointment. And so I was really working through things quickly. And at the same time, move like while I was healing my past, I was also designing my future. So I was continuing with my coaching courses, I was um, taking a leadership course at this point, even though I didn't see myself as a leader, because I spent so many years hiding, you know, because of this lie. And so but it was and and moving towards creating a new community for myself of people that were in this healthier space. Right. And so, you know, I think it, it is important that while you do the healing, to also be designing that future that you want absolutely you know and and i tell people it's like it's not the work just that because in therapy you do an hour worth of work for a week you know but it's mm-hmm. the work that you do outside of therapy after that week is also yeah. just as crucial um to the life that you want to design because a lot of times we get rid of the pain we get rid of all the junk and all the stuff that we didn't want but then after that comes what do i want you know, yeah. uh, if this is not my new norm anymore. And, and I think sometimes people stay in that rut because of the uncertainty and because they don't know what else to come and what else to think and what else to design or yeah. feel. I think um, that's where people get stuck and think, oh, I, I know I'm used to this dysfunctionality or I'm used to this familiar. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, and yeah, I I use the term often, I just say like, you know, the universe doesn't like a void. So you can heal some things. And and now there's this empty space in you. Yes. And then that's where it's like, what do I fill it with? And if you don't know what to fill it with, you'll go back to the old patterns and fill it with more of that. Yes. You know, and it it just might look different. It's the same pain, but you know, like, if it's relationships and it's like, okay, I've healed from that relationship. And then we find somebody new that's right. the same story. They just, you know, it's a different person, <laughs> same personality or same issues. Yep. So that's why it's important to be doing both at the same time so that you're filling it with something healthier. Absolutely. And, and it so much for feels, yeah. So, so it's, it's an easier transition. Yep into into this new life it doesn't feel like you know okay healed and then now chapter two and and like, now where do I go with the same set of people same set of thinking same set of like yeah. mindlessness I think for me um and some of the things that I also recommend to people it's like if you want to be different things in your life you have to surround yourself with people places yeah. and things that you want to be like you know it's like yeah. if keep yourself in the same rut, you will always stay in that same rut. And I think it's really difficult to let go, you know, of um, that familiarity and the things that we're used to, even though they're dysfunctional, and coming to that place of accepting that grief and loss where no, but these are my people. Well, if they're not serving you, or, you know, there is a concept of social distancing and boundary. Right, right. (laughs) And yeah, and and then, you know, back to, to the point of like, transitioning with the old and the new, that it you don't necessarily have to break up with these friends exactly. or these people. You yep. know, it's when you start including more people in your life yes. that are healthier, that have the similar mindset that what you're working towards, yes. the other relationships just naturally tend to fall away. Uh, and so it doesn't have to be negative feelings. That. It, doesn't, it can be this yeah. and that, and then right. that more of that. You know, yeah, and it doesn't have to be a cutting off of like I can't be your friend anymore. Thank you. Yes, you know, it's just the you know it can just fall away on its own because we only have so many hours in our day, right? And as we get healthier, we will then just like when we're like, oh, I have some free time. Who do I want to hang out with? Right. We're just going to naturally gravitate to the words, the people that lift us up. 
Absolutely. And so, yeah, then, you know, it's just these things fall away. And I find also that as we get healthier, the people who are in that unhealthy space don't really resonate with us. So they don't really want to hang out with us that much either. Yeah. You know, so, yes. I mean, sometimes it might just because we're <laughs> like, too, too, too uh, excited about our new life. <laughs> not judge people. I judge people all day long. Right. That can- That's right. I want to gossip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, you're no fun. Why don't you want to bash them? Right. <laughs> yeah. so, and that's the thing that they're not going to be calling you either. Right, right. right. So it just becomes this mutual thing of like, you know, like we and we all have those friends that like, yeah, you know, it just kind of we just don't see each other as much as we used to. Well, those yeah. are the friends that like, yes, those those kinds of things happen. So it doesn't have to be so black and white. Absolutely. You can ease into it. But yeah, easing into that new world, that new life. And again, around people that have that same mindset that, Absolutely. you know, are also maybe on their own healing journeys or they've done it and they're on the other side and you admire them. So yeah, just, and it's, it's constantly just stepping into each of these opportunities and saying yes. And that, that was my journey. Um, I have a a sign on my, on my desk. I I can't move it because the letters will move around, but it says just show up. And that has been my mantra over the last number of years of just healing of like, I want this. Yes. And I don't know if I'm ready for it. I will just show up. And if I'm not ready, I can turn around and go home or I can show up to a call and then decide, okay, I'm going to be quiet on the zoom call or whatever it is, (laughs) but at least show up because every time I do something good happens and I'm proud of myself. And that's, that's the thing too. It's a piece of, you know, where, when we're unhealthy, we continue to perpetuate it. And then we dislike ourselves because we keep making decisions that we're not proud of. Absolutely. And so a big piece of self-love when we don't have it is keep doing things that make you proud of yourself. And that's what will help you love yourself. And that comes after. So, so yeah. You know, I love the concept of self-love. A hundred percent. About that. Maybe I'll have you back talking about that. But, you know, I really. Sure. <laughs> um, because I really think that that's so important. And like you were saying earlier, you know, in order to not be dependent or codependent, in order to, you know, not pour from an empty bucket. And I think self-love doesn't just come. I think it, it, it chips away with no. time. When, you, when we're born ch- as children, yeah. we are born with the concept of self-love. You know, we don't know anything but love. Yeah. But then over oh, time, yeah. our experiences, our things, our people, you know, life gets to us. And then we sort of chip away with all that pain yes. and you know, um, all the stuff that needs healing. And then you find yourself back there. And it's just so beautiful because then you preserve it yeah. and continue to do that every day so that it's not like oh in therapy you gain self-love and then no you'll have self-love for the rest of your life no you have to keep doing that every day um even five minutes or whatever that looks like for you um you know uh, whether you're saying things that you find yourself to be loving about whether you are grateful whether you know you're doing mirror exercises whether you're journaling whether you're meditating everything that keeps filling that bucket up every day not from external love or environment and things that fulfills you that that are quite superficial uh, but yeah truly genuinely from within yeah and and it doesn't happen overnight i had to move from a space of like stop hate stop hating myself yes first that was my first step because yeah. i really i was filled with self loathing yeah. the way i talked to myself in my head was yeah. horrible yeah. and and usually i'll say that's the first step of like you know i i call it the friend test yes that you know if you wouldn't say it to a friend then yeah. when you hear yourself speaking that way to yourself yep then change it. Like, instead of saying like, oh, I'm so stupid. I can't believe I did that again. It's like, no, I'm not stupid. I made a mistake. People make mistakes yes. and just move into something neutral. Yes. And then once you're out of that, you know, self-hatred and in the neutral space. When you're not used to that territory, I want to talk about the neutral, like you said, that you, you're you like, mm-hmm. no, I'm not going to believe when I say these good things to myself. Right. So I'm so glad you're mentioning sure. neutralness. Yeah. Cause like, I mean, I heard also like, Oh, tell yourself you love, you know, I love you in the mirror. And I'd be like, really? Like, right. no, that's so weird. Like, right. you know, I love you. now I can do it. Right. But, but yeah, you can't go from hating yourself because it feels fake. Right. So right. it's like, okay, just neutralize it and yep. don't stop abusing yourself in your own yep. mind. Yes. 
and then then move into neutrality from neutrality then you know it's and again it's it's the building up and it's doing things that you're proud of instead of doing things that you like you know and I, I use relationships as an example because I think so many of us can relate yeah. to this of like you know when when we ha- when we have a pattern of unhealthy relationships we'll get out of it we'll go into the next one seeing the red flags, knowing that it's probably not a good idea, but we stay in it anyways. Yep, yep. And and then it just perpetuates that of like, you know, because then we, we end up breaking up, it always happens. And then we're like, oh, I should have listened to myself. And then we beat ourselves up for that. And it's like, stop those patterns. Yes. You know, so like, I even if you're just multiple patterns are even happening, because I think, because, mm-hmm. you know, like I was mentioning yeah. earlier in my relationship stuff and unresolved trauma with relationships, I'm so big on it's like, there's a whole concept of unconscious uncoupling. I mean, conscious uncoupling. Yeah. And you know, it's like your next relationship starts with the way your this relationship ended and how it ended, you know, yeah. sometimes it can, it, it, it it's a very new, you know, uh, the, the mentality, but I think some at some point we have to break the cycle and go what what instead of right. hating it instead of hating ourselves instead of hating the other person instead of having so many dark and, and I'm not saying breaking up can be easy it is painful and hurtful yeah. but at least if you know that you know what if this is not working for me this is not working for you we're making each other really bad I wish I knew that through my previous yeah, relationships yeah. of how to right. do that so that yeah. I couldn't I wouldn't do keep yeah. doing the same things over and over because right. at the end of the day if we don't heal from some of those things subconsciously and sometimes we can consciously say yeah no I'm better I'm fine but it's like if you're not in it you don't know if you're fine or how you're going to be. And the yeah. people that you attract tells you, a, to, are, are it like, tells you if you're in it or not, exactly. if you're over it. Yes, I've healed, but yeah. no, if you're keeping attracting right. the same thing subconsciously, then there are some parts of the residual stuff that's not right. healed. Right. And that's where the support person or people come, you know, again, are so important, because we don't see our own patterns. Absolutely. But the support person from an objective point of view, can say, hey, you know, you told me the story about whatever, it sounds like this is kind of happening again, maybe, right. maybe think about it. Right. And, right. you know, and, and it kind of softens it for us. Right. <laughs> so. right, right, right. And at that point, it's our journey. So we go through it, and learn yeah. and heal. But I think it's really important that we go through that process of we attract what we are, you know, and yeah. we need to yeah. look from and sub, sub, right. sub, like you said, you know, you did the whole EMDR thing. I'm an EMDR therapist, so I get all excited hearing. That's <laughs> <laughs> the best. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's this, it's, there's a lot of subconscious work that needs to be done and not just talk yeah. therapy, because sometimes those wounds or those deep down uh, subconscious feelings, things that are that are so etched that they don't just come out yeah. of talk therapy. Oh, yeah. Like, and, you know, I mean, EMDR, definitely things came up. And then the somatic work I did also, yes, yes, yes. you know, I, I, I was I did a process called Rolfing, which is mm. fascia release and trauma is stored in your fashion. You know, so as this person is stretching my fashion, massaging it out, memories were popping up that I hadn't thought of in 20 years. Yes, and it was like, Oh, my God, you know, yes. and I, I, you know, would tell the practitioner, I was like, I'm so excited to go to my therapist and tell them and then I go to EMDR <laughs> and be like, let's work through this. because then you're like wow I was carrying all this for these many years right why what yeah yeah Yeah. and then I had my team of people that were like let's work (laughs) on it so I was fully supported and and it was great and and then to each person their team of people looks different and that's absolutely okay but the idea is and that's the purpose of this you know entire show is to create a sense of purpose to pivot you to the next level of your better version Mm -hmm. and then to create a community of people who are like-minded um you know that can support each other that can be less judgmental that can help each other through that pivoting journey. So yeah, really excited to have you as a part of that journey. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so any last uh, words or any last, um, you know, I know we went a little over, but I really have so much fun talking to you, but yes. um, <laughs> so I think I could keep going, but is there anything else that you, you know, that I missed that um, I should know about you or you would leave my audience with? I think we covered everything that, that so I wanted to talk about. Find you. Tell me how yes. we can find you. So um, I'm 
pretty much everywhere on social media. Um, I have a website as well, michelleanhangcoaching.com. Yeah. So, so whatever form of social media, except TikTok, because my kids won't let me go on. They tell me I'm too old. (laughs) That's fine. That's fine. But yeah, um, please feel free, reach out. Um, You know, I can share the information about my mindfulness course. It's actually on my website. And um, yeah, happy to support uh, anybody that uh, feels that they connected with my story. Uh, thank you so much. No, you have given shared with us so much wealth of, you know, mental health awareness that, that I think we together could use about and mm-hmm. we don't talk about. Um, and yeah. then, you know, the word suicide itself has so much charge related to that. So that, 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 that I thank you for normalizing suicide, mm-hmm. um, so to speak, because I think it's important that we have those discussions because more people are dying of suicide than coronavirus every yeah. day. Yes, and they continue yes. to. But yet we are like, oh, you know, suicide. Let's not talk about it. But right. as long as it's not somebody I know. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Or it could never happen to me. It can happen to yeah. any one of us. So it, it's really yeah. important that we address those things. We know how to, you know, uh, lose the judgment related to those things. And we know how to handle that big word without those big feelings. And, you know, even if yeah. we have those big feelings, I think it's important to be aware and to, you know, um, do something about it. So thank yeah. you so much for coming on here and talking to thank us about you. all of that. Thank you. And I'd love to come back and talk about self-love sometime. So (laughs) Uh, I'm definitely going to plan to. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank Um, you. you. See you next time.